Hey, and welcome to the show. My name's Dan. Thanks for being with us, and welcome to Copy That, a show about creativity, and basically a show that I wish I had listened to uh, back when I was getting started in uh, my creative pursuits. So this week, we're going to be talking about depression, and I know it's it's not super exciting, but it is. Uh, it just seems to be the dark passenger that most person that I know has ever had to deal with. Um, I don't know about you, but the death of Anthony Bourdain, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, he was a guy that struggled with demons, but seemed that those were in his rear view. And his death was a reminder to me um, that our demons just aren't too far behind us, um, even, even when we do best them. So it, it's kind of weird. It reminds me of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert says in Big Magic that fear is always along for the ride, no matter where we go. Uh, but the fun part is that it doesn't get a vote, and that's really important. Uh, this week's episode, we're going to feature Chuck Rogers. Chuck is a, a licensed therapist and LMFT um, out of uh, Virginia. I know him well because I've talked with him um, at some, some great length, actually, and he's been very helpful to me in my own life and helping provide strategies and tactics on how to get past um, some of the emotional hurdles um, in my creative process. So I thought he would be a great person to talk to um, as we talk about some of the issues either that are depression or around depression, because there's there's normal highs and lows, I think, in everybody's life. But the depression side of things can get really scary. And for a lot of people, it's something we don't want to really talk about. So I thought we might talk about it today, and maybe you're along for the ride too. So if you're here, strap in. We're going to talk to Chuck. Thanks so much for being here. Well, my guest today is Chuck Rogers. He's a licensed professional counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist. He is the founder of Winterhurst Counseling Center in Lynchburg, Virginia. Chuck, thanks so much for being on the show and talking to us today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me, Dan. Well, we get to talk about an exciting thing that is depression. Uh, <laughs> it's so, so exciting. Like, come on the show and talk about a terrible thing, but um, not to bum everybody out, but I think it's, it's really important. Do you think that part of the problem with depression is people can are still scared of it? Yeah, I do. Um, it, it really is scary because it feels so bad to feel so bad. And then the fear button gets pushed. And then we're afraid that if it feels this way now, what in the world is next week or next month or next year going to be like? So it feels bad. And then it's scary because we're afraid of what might be next. Absolutely. And do you think, uh, I guess in, in today's today's world, do you are you are you finding that's is that more of a is depression more of an issue for those with a creative personality or those who are very creative or do you think it just it hits everybody it just seems to be more uh, vocal I guess in in uh, creatives uh, lives what do you, what's your take um, my guess is that it's uh, pretty generic and that everybody deals with it from time to time and to various degrees and. I think that with the folks in the creative industry, their lives sometimes uh, are on such a platform that uh, the rest of us are able to see it and hear about it probably more readily than we would just, you know, the average person who has the average workaday job. So I would say that it hits everybody uh, from time to time, but certainly folks in the creative field, we hear about it and then they do. They face things that the rest of us just don't uh, really have difficulty resonating with. So there's some very specifics to them as well. 
Like, how would you define it? I guess it's really probably the bigger question is like, how are you, how would we define depression? Like if someone says I'm feeling depressed or I'm, you know, like, cause I've had days of, uh, you know, I'm just kind of a down, it's kind of a bummer day Mm -hmm. to the days where, yeah, there's dread or maybe I don't even want to get out of bed. Exactly. So, so what, what is that? What is that actually? How do you define it? Well, we all have times when we're kind of down or blue, but there's a real difference between being down or sad or blue than being depressed. There's a mood component to depression, but depression is kind of an umbrella. It's an overall kind of state. For instance, um, I look at things like I'll ask people, how's your mood? And then, and then sometimes they'll be able to give me an answer and sometimes they won't. And so then I would give them uh, a checklist, you know, up, down, sad, depressed, angry, irritable, hostile, anxious, and they'll kind of tell me about their mood. Then we'll find out how long it lasts and what do they do to get out of it or does it ever go away. Then I began to look at other components to help me determine, are they really depressed, like sleep? Um, how, How many minutes or hours does it take them to fall asleep? And then once they get to sleep, can they stay asleep? Or uh, how long can they sleep until the alarm wakes up, uh, wakes them up, or till somebody else wakes them up, or till they wake up on their own? So you're looking at initial, middle, and terminal insomnia. So that's the whole. So you got mood, we've got sleep. Then I ask about their energy. How's your energy during the daytime? If it's low, then I want to know how long it's been low. Or is it kind of in the middle, or is it you know pretty good? I'll ask about issues of concentration. Are you able to stay focused as long as you want to be able to focus? So I'll ask about memory. How is your recall? Um, I ask about appetite for food. I ask about appetite for sex. I ask about motivation to get things done. And then if I'm in a counseling relationship with them, I will ask them, um, do you have any thoughts about hurting yourself or hurting anybody else or death wishes, desire to be dead? So I ask all those questions to kind of find out where they are, which helps me to determine, A, are they depressed? And B, um, how deep is the depression? And then C, what kind of interventions need to take place at this time? So depression is kind of an umbrella that says uh, their whole life is or is not kind of down or is their whole life depressed so there's a mood component but it, it's an assessment of one's entire functioning if, if this is the case at any given time you know everybody's kind of bouncing in and out of this mm-hmm. where does the line come in terms of a clinical depression or even like i, I love the way winston Hurt, churchill referred to black dog days where's the line it has to do with the degree of each of those symptoms okay. that i just referenced and certainly the last one uh, is the most important um, and is, is, are they looking really at having thoughts about hurting themselves? Or are they desiring to be, uh, be around anymore? And if then we have to start looking at issues of can we maintain this on an outpatient basis? Is would medication be a good recommendation or at least they be assessed for it? Or do we need to look, start looking at inpatient hospitalization? So I would say that it's just a degree of how many of those symptoms are met and then to what degree. Oh, okay. Okay, but that is definitely the criteria. That's that's really wild. Mm-hmm. It's like seven seven different factors. That's pretty wild. So then on the flip side, is that also similar when dealing with like cuz usually we talk about anxiety and depression together, yes? Uh, sometimes they come together, but you can have one without the other. And anxiety is just kind of excessive worry about things that probably everybody faces from time to time. And, you know, we all have concerns. We all have worries. We all have stresses. But am I experiencing those to a greater degree than maybe to kind of the normal general population? And if so, then I would meet a criteria uh, that says that I would meet clinical um, anxiety. 
Okay. But different factors, different criteria to, to evaluate that, or, or how, does, mm-hmm. how does that work? Yeah. You can pull up what's called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and meet a certain criteria in there. Or really what you would do now is just probably do a, a search on the internet for symptoms of anxiety, and it lists them out there for you. And you could go in and put yes, 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 and it will spit out um, the, the answer for you as to probably you do meet the criteria for anxiety, excessive worry, or you do not meet the criteria for that. And and then we should stay away from WebMD because we'll probably have cancer after we put that in, correct? <laughs> Is that... Well, it's a good resource. On the other hand, sometimes when we start looking at those kind of things, we think, gosh, I have that. And gosh, I have that. And gosh, yeah. I have that too from time to time. And so it can make us uh, a little bit more uh, sensitive than we need to be. But it's a good source of information. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I, I consistently get cancer when I put my factors in there. Uh, so I don't know. Um, anyway, so on the depression side of things, or like the creative sense, I, I think of doing creative work is there's a fair amount of uh, the discipline of just of getting up and, and starting the work. Um, yeah. Kind of thing, and and the and as weird as it is, is it's a very blue collar approach, mm-hmm. um, or at least that's that's been a lot of my success uh, that way. It's just like, well, you got to get up, and what are we doing today? And stick to itiveness, which is kind of rough because just like any entrepreneur, most most creatives are freelance or right. entrepreneurs, so they're they're they have to be self motivated, which is a <laughs> is a tough one, or exterior motivated by like paying rent or things like that. <laughs> but when it when it comes to the, I don't know, I find that a normal cycle for me is like, usually right after I launch something, I'll feel kind of down. Like, I'll go from this, you know, big high, we've done it. Yes, excellent. And it's out. And then there's just kind of this lull. Do you have any uh, thoughts or, or ways? I mean, just again, we're we're not. Uh, we, we do think that anyone uh, feeling like they're they're starting to battle depression, they need to talk to a therapist. What are you, do you have any strategy or any any encouragement that we could take from like after we do launch a project or we're starting to feel kind of down or we're lost in the middle? A, a classically, every project mm-hmm. is you get lost in the weeds about I don't know thirty percent in, and it pretty much comes to this like all is lost moment at about. 70% in, you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Why am I even doing this thing right. anymore? There's the dark before the dawn kind of thing, and you yeah. start usually finish strong. Any encouragements or thoughts on ways to, to get around the down cycle? Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember being in school and, you know, was nose to the grindstone and every moment was called for and you had something to read or something to write or something that just needed to be done. And then comes, you know, Christmas break or comes spring break or, or summer break. And then you're like, wow, shouldn't I be doing something? So it's a it's a change that takes place and it feels kind of a little bit down. You're grateful that you're in the break, grateful that you were successful, but then we're not doing what we were doing. And it feels a little odd sometimes. And I think that that happens while we're got the nose to the grindstone, we're really working super hard. And then we find finally meet it and finish it. And it's great. But then what happens is our fear button gets pushed because we kind of go, what's next? Is there going to be something next? What if someone doesn't knock on my door? Uh, What if I don't find, what if I get rejected if I go knocking on somebody else's door? So while we're busy and while we're tenacious and working toward a goal, it feels good because we're being uh, goal-directed and we're accomplishing purposes and being successful and we're chopping and the wood chips are flying. But then, you know, that's done. And I think we get scared kind of going, you know, what's next for me? And then if, if it seems there's not something next for me, and there always is, but we fear that it won't be. So the fear sets in. And then what happens is that fear makes us go do stuff or it shuts us down. And it's that fear that we have to battle. We have to begin to uh, do certain things 
that can make the fear smaller or make it go away so that I can get up and go to the gym, so that I can uh, reach out to the next person or persons, or so that I can go ahead and do the next piece of what's in front of me. I would say the same thing happens too. Like you talk about, sometimes you get to this, you know, part of the way in and all of a sudden it's just, oh gosh, it's just, I can't even hardly pull myself uh, forward to do the next piece. Uh, it's, it's a motivational kind of a, a factor there, especially I think some people face it more than others. So one of the things that I personally try to do and one of the things I encourage my clients to do is to set some, um, uh, you know, you, you hear motivational speakers talk about get yourself a BHAG, get yourself a big, hairy, audacious goal. And, you know, that doesn't work very well for me and for my clients. So what I encourage them to do is get themselves a TWAG, which is a teeny weeny, almost invisible goal and begin to work on that. Or sometimes we'll set a goal of do something for five minutes or do something for just 15 minutes. You've done hard things before. So anybody can do something for 15 minutes. And so what tends to happen is that I or the other person will engage in this activity for 15 minutes. But once I've done it, I'm already on my way. And so then I'll probably do it for another 15 minutes or maybe an hour or more. So I encourage people to set teeny weeny, almost invisible goals uh, for one thing to, to get themselves motivated so that they can be successful. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I've always heard from the writing side, you know, write, write for five minutes, just yeah. start for five minutes. Cause usually it's like, Hey, I'm going to write a book. And it's like, uh, this is really <laughs> tough. And I don't, it's Everest. And how's that going to work? And so then, yeah, like, like you're saying, just smaller, yeah. smaller bits. So th yeah, that little Hanlon is, um, a uh, great therapist, and he's also a from a solution-oriented perspective, and he's also written many, many books and teaches courses on how to write books, and he does that. He's big on five minutes. He encourages people to, to do something for five minutes. In fact, one time he was telling a story about a gentleman who was working on his doctoral dissertation, and he was ABD, all but dissertation, and all his classes were done, everything was done, but it was just this dissertation that needed to be finished, and he couldn't do it. And so Bill made a contract with him that this guy would try to do it, I think, for five minutes, but it may have been 15. I can't remember for sure. Every day. And Bill said the first thing he realized that if he would work on it for just 15 minutes per day, you know, he would eventually finish. It would take forever, but he would eventually finish. But the guy says, yeah, I can, I can do 15 minutes a day and, and then quit. But when he would get in there and get his computer open and get you know, various sources out in front of him, inevitably he would work for 45 minutes to an hour and he was able to be successful. So it's just going ahead and setting those really small, very doable uh, task, which will allow me or the other person to, to just be successful. So you're exactly right. That's a perfect example, right? For five minutes. Mm. You're, you're kind of reprogramming or you're allowing yourself to kind of like jump a mental fence mm -hmm. by, by doing that. Is there anything to like the admission of like, yeah, I, I am feeling down or, or is giving into it a terrible idea? Uh, I would say that, yeah, going ahead and acknowledging to yourself and hopefully other people, hopefully you're not doing this by yourself, that, that I am down or I am struggling right now. And that, and then just being really honest about it because the truth sets us free typically. And then if I can confess that to somebody else and say, I'm really struggling, they can kind of hold me accountable or give me um, ideas that will help pull me out of it. You know, one of the things about depression is that there are certain things that it loves. And one of the things that it loves is isolation. 
So what I encourage people to do is find out what depression loves and refuse to give it to it mm. and find out what it hates and force feed it. And one of the things that depression loves is getting us by ourselves and getting us uh, lonely. And inside mm. that loneliness, the only thoughts that we hear are our own thoughts. And sometimes they're pretty dark. But if I don't, if I can't speak back to them and I don't have other people in my life to speak back to them, I tend to believe what my brain tells me. One of my good friends, Dr. Gary Sipsey, is a therapist. And Gary says, you know, Chuck, he says, the brain is the only organ of the body that we believe. And I said, you know, geez, Gary, what are you talking about? And he says, well, you know, he says, if if I have gas, I don't tell myself I'm a poo. Uh, or if I'm nauseous, I don't tell myself I'm a puke. But he says, if my brain tells me that I'm bad, I believe it. Mm. So he says, when your brain talks to you, just talk back to it. But it's increasingly difficult if you're isolated. And so one of the things that I encourage people to do uh, who are starting to feel kind of blue or starting to feel kind of amotivational is to get with somebody, go somewhere, go anywhere and get with anybody hmm. because uh, the chances of something good happening if I change where I'm sitting is uh, going to be astronomical. You know, there, there's there's no no health for me on my couch by myself. Right. Uh, you know, the only thing that's there is a, you know, a bag of Doritos and, you know, a two liter of Coke mm -hmm. and so that's not going to be helpful for me in any way. So if I do something outside of my house with somebody else, the chances then are exponential about uh, successful possibilities. Mm. Yeah. What is what is at the heart of of this? Do you think it's just it's a chemical thing? It's it's a circumstance thing. I mean, where is it? Is it just you know part of that? Our brain just starts hijacking ourselves. Where does it come from? Well, it is fear, and my clients will tell you that I'm obsessed with fear uh, because fear is the thing that makes us do things or shuts us down. It makes us say things or it shuts us down. For instance, there'll be some life trigger out there. Somebody in my life says something does something or just some life event comes my way. And I see that life event and my fear button gets pushed and my brain literally lights up inside when I become fearful. And then that fear that of, of the dream that I want to happen for me is getting crushed, or at least I'm afraid it's being crushed. And because of that fear, I go out and I do stuff or I shut down. I engage my voice and say things or I shut down. Mm -hmm. So yes, without question, Dan, you're right on the money that fear is the thing that uh, is is keeping us from being successful. That's a, that's interesting. I mean, I, I find that in my, I mean, even just my own personal, interpersonal relationships, I kind of jump to the end now and say, okay, so here's my fear and I'll just get it out there because one, usually sometimes it's, it's a, uh, it's quick to be like, well, that's silly. But sometimes it's also really helpful because I might not have correct language you know and that that mm -hmm. that seems to help out quite a bit with with that do you do you find it's it's good to just kind of voice that like here's what i'm afraid of even self-wise like oh what? absolutely yeah because the, the thoughts are really super scary and believable when they're inside my head but if i can give voice to them to uh, myself and hear them out loud. Sometimes that brings some sober judgment or I give voice to them to other people <clears throat> and then um, they can give me feedback about that. Sometimes when I help my clients, well, wait, what they do, we, we take, uh, you know, what scripture says is uh, take your thoughts captive. We take that very seriously. We write down our negative thoughts. Sometimes people will just have four or five negative thoughts. Sometimes people will have 15, 20 or more negative thoughts. And I refer to them as hamster wheel thoughts. They're those thoughts that just grind away inside your head and cause it make it difficult or impossible to be able to move forward. Classic ones are, um, I don't fit. 
I'm not going to fit. I don't measure up. I'm never going to measure where up. Uh, it can be about our physical person. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. My nose is too big. My ears are too long. Or maybe there are even ones that seemingly are positive, like, um, you know, never, never quit. Or, you know, things don't never do anything halfway, uh, which basically is, you know, I must do things perfectly. Mm. So those are just some classic ones that people deal with. And sometimes those thoughts can be motivating, but oftentimes they can be debilitating as well. And so we, we write those thoughts down. We write down how strong they are on a scale of zero to 100. And then we do a, a series of techniques to bombard them, to make them small or to make them go away. So yeah, I would say that we have these negative thoughts in our brain. Our brain is talking to us. We buy into it and believe them. And then because we believe them, it just shuts us down. Mm. So our job is to really and truly attack those negative thoughts. And one of the things to do with them is to say them out loud, write them down, say them out loud, share them with a friend. I, uh, as, a, as a homework assignment, sometimes for my clients, after we've done a lot of um, techniques in our session, I'll say to them, um, do you appreciate research? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I like it. And I said, well, you know, I'm not very good at it, but I sure appreciate the people who do it and the results. And if I come to you and I, I say to you, um, I've, I've surveyed 100 people, would you buy into my research? Uh, most people kind of question it. They go, just 100? And I say, yeah, just 100. Um, yeah, I'd probably believe it. If you told me that you worked hard and got people you know, as, as non-biased as could be. So what about 50? Mm, I don't know, Chuck. That's, that's not very good. 20? Uh, probably not. I wouldn't buy it. 10. Absolutely not. What if I only ask one person? No, I'd never believe it. Mm. And I said, that's what you've been doing is you've been doing research of one for all these years, maybe all your life, and you've been buying into it. Now it's time for you to go do some real research. I want you to take those negative thoughts and I want you to go share them with 15 people. Just just and tell them that I'm going to read. I'm in counseling. I'm getting some coaching. And uh, I, I've had some negative thoughts. I'm battling. I'm going to read these to you. And I want you to give information back to me about what you think about them. And I promise you I will not defend. I promise you I will not give explanations or reasons. I'm just going to let your truth wash over me and receive feedback from you. And then I'd encourage them to go through and read those thoughts off to their friends uh, and, and maybe write down what they have to say. And sometimes that experience of having the other person to talk back to my brain for me uh, it can be just life-giving and freeing for the other person. So without question, absolutely, you're right, Dan. Get those thoughts outside your head to yourself or to other people, preferably. Okay. So if fear is also a big factor, do you think envy becomes a, a thing or like, like that I'm not measuring up because all of these people look so awesome on Instagram? Is, is oh, social media a factor? Oh, it's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's really good for my business. People ask me, what do you think of Facebook? I said, I think Facebook's great. It's, it's bringing all kinds of people into my office. And, and, I, and I really do mean that uh, individually and, and relationally as well. Because when you put things on Facebook, for the most part, I'm going to see the best of Dan. And if you see something about Chuck on there, it's going to be the best. And I'm going to look really good. But if you really knew who I was and, and saw my demons and heard them scream, then you would know the other parts of Chuck's life that really uh, need work and need attending to. So, yes, when I see other people's lives on Facebook, I'm envious of how wonderful their life is. But really what that means is that I'm fearful. I'm fearful that I will never have as good a life as them or I'm fearful that there's something wrong with me that I don't have as good a life as them. So envy is just another package, flavor, color, smell of fear, 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, and I just find like if if someone makes me feel terrible, like obviously it's nothing they're actually doing. They're they're not really intentionally trying to hurt me or anything. But if, if there's something I go, oh man, and I just automatically feel terrible, um, mm-hmm. I either unfollow or just yeah, I just unfollow them or I I not block them necessarily, but because <laughs> uh, it's again, it's not something that they're actually doing to me through. Because there was a lot specifically like when I moved to L.A., there were just a lot of people that were further down the road than me and I there was that comparison and <laughs> and and so I just was like no that's not helping me at all I'm kind of destroying myself and it's like no one knows about it and I'm just yeah putting myself in so i just would unfollow that would you recommend that that's a is there anything in the short term specifically that that you'd encourage uh, people to do like get off facebook i mean that's i mean everybody talks about it but i don't feel like mm-hmm. everybody does um they do the break thing like i'm going to take a little break and i'm going to go away but um what is it that you would i guess encourage on the social media front well i would encourage you to do the same thing that i would encourage people to do in other areas of their life is that the only people say well chuck what do i do well first of all the thing to do is something different than you're currently doing that's not working. Ah, oh, good point. So if I'm looking at my life and all the streams of my life and the air, the, the direction that I'm heading, and I don't like it, I've got to do something, anything that's different. And if I'm consistently noticing that getting on Facebook is bringing me down, then by all means, try something different. Maybe it's that I limit my time on Facebook, whether it's X amount of time per day or only every other day or only on certain days. Or I would try that for a while. If that's not working after two or three weeks, then I would say I'm going to take a break from Facebook altogether as an experiment to see what happens. And that's what an experiment is, is we put this chemical in and this chemical in and we don't know the outcome. So we're going to try it out and see what happens. But I'll be darned if, if Facebook is bringing me down then I need to have less of Facebook or or none of Facebook whatsoever. So absolutely try something different in regard to where social media is. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, again, just a a physical response to a digital medium makes a a lot of sense Mm -hmm. uh, that way. Is there anything else that like, because honestly, I I just know from my own experience of just, you know, feeling down or or whatever. And then I talk to a lot of creative professionals. And usually that's a a question that ends up happening with somebody if I get to know them. It's like, well, how do you deal with the the downtime? How do you deal with when you're feeling down? What do you do? And um, is there is there anything else that that seems like a, a common place that or a common trap that we might be able to avoid? I go back to the, the isolation piece again, Dan. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I've got people who speak truth into me all the time in, in my life. And they're people I just couldn't imagine doing life without them. Every Wednesday, I'm at Starbucks with my friend. And he and I have that time specifically set aside for one another. And we do it specifically on Wednesday, because if we can't, we'll try it on Thursday or we'll try it on Friday. It's that important that we have a backup plan Hmm. for that as well. And he texts me and I text him. My wife says, you know, you guys text like middle school girls. And I said, yes, (laughs) we do. Exactly what we do. And we, we really have fun with it, but we really rely upon one another as well. And then there are other people in my life that I'm with uh, somewhat um, routinely. And then there are other people in my life that are kind of um, hit and miss. And I, I can't imagine doing life without these people in my life. And we weren't we were made to be interrelational people. And to think that we can go it alone is just a farce. Now, it's scary the fear button gets pushed because 
I have, uh, the more time I spend with these people, the more time they're going to get to know me and they're going to see the good things about me and uh, they're going to see the places where I really struggle too. And we fear, the fear button gets pushed, we fear that they'll look down on us. Mm-hmm. And the possibility exists that they might. And sometimes that will happen, unfortunately. Uh, however, most of the time what we find is that they're pretty giving and forgiving Mm-hmm. And uh, saying, you know, I've been there too, or I knew you were struggling with that, and I, I want to be available to you. Is there anything I can do to help you with that? Anything at all? And so, usually, what I find is that disclosure doesn't push people away. Mm-hmm. It, that disclosure brings people in. And I think what we're all afraid of the most is that we don't matter, mm-hmm. whether it's an individual issue or whether it's in my marriage. I, I, I want to really matter to my bride. And sometimes by the things that she says, the things she doesn't say, I, I kind of think, oh, gosh, maybe I don't matter to her. But that's that's not the case. I have to kind of work my way through that. But the, the other the part, other part of this, I think I think relationship is a key or one of, if not the keys to this, is that relational pain is healed inside of relationship. So if I'm hurting individually or I'm hurting relationally, I have to reach out to other people to get some relational medicine to put on that wound. But it's risky. It's scary because I might get hurt more. Right, right. And that's true, but I've got to reach anyway, out anyway because that's the medicine that I need. Mm. So I, if if people are struggling with this, I'm telling you, they're gonna ha- you're gonna have to reach out to some other people uh, because it's very difficult or almost impossible to get out of by yourself. So I would say that you know, folks who are in the creative industry gotta find other people in the creative industry who understand their pain. I mean, uh, you can talk to other people such as myself who aren't in it, and we can be empathetic and we can try our best to understand it. But it feels good to know when somebody else has walked that road. And you know they've walked that road and they're in a different place now. Uh, they can say, you know, I've been where you are, but, you know, I'm on the other side of this now. And um, I, I'm telling you, it gets better. Hang in there. What can I do to help you? So mm. I would say find some other people who are walking similar or same roads as you. Yeah. And I think that from, I, I guess, as someone who's been kind of around the block a little bit, the idea of being able to go it alone is an amateur kind of approach to successful living um, versus versus like, yeah, it's not going to work because at some point you, you've got a, a trail of bad relationships and, and sadness behind you. Um in the wake so so what is it about the shame because i feel like there's shame when someone says i'm talking with a therapist or you know uh, i'm seeing a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist like there's all of a sudden there's this like oh oh you don't have you don't have your life together is at least that's a that's a a real knee-jerk reaction from me and i don't know if that's just you know the place i grew up and like the approach to things um even though i i don't believe that now Mm -hmm. um but what is it is there any you know uh, i again it's there's a certain amount of vulnerability and a certain amount of uh just being okay with yourself to say i i'm not perfect even though i feel like everyone would say you say hey are you perfect most people would say no you know like there's a general understanding that i'm not i don't have everything figured out but yet when you're then trying to seek out solutions all Mm -hmm. of a sudden there seems to be like hands kind of pulling you back or scoffing or trying to set the status quo back what is with that well i i i think that that mentality that you're talking about is where you know some people do look down their nose at other people who are going to counseling fortunately i think that that group of people who do that are fewer and further in between it's, it's not as strong as it once was mm. thankfully but i think it still does exist uh, but for the most part the people that i run into uh, are very open about it and they'll say uh, this I, I have seen a therapist before or i am seeing a therapist or this is what my therapist is currently saying and this is what we're working on so i, I think that that stigma does exist 
but I think that it is much weaker than it once was. And I think that it has to do with people being in community and just being open um, about about what's going on and uh, what they're doing in order to be able to move forward. So again, it's just disclosure. And when you bring light to something, um, the shame goes away. What shame you're talking about to begin with? Shame is guilt. Is guilt is I've I've done something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. And I think that sometimes when we believe when we reach out to whether it's a professional or just a buddy, and I I'm I'm so pathetic that I I have some problems and have to reach out to other people. I must be really flawed. Well, the truth is you are really flawed. <laughs> and, and, and so am I. I. I swear to you, there's there's so many things wrong with Chuck Rogers that I, I couldn't, basically no area of my life that I couldn't improve a great deal. And so once I realize that, once I give that lip service, I don't feel the shame anymore of being a, a such a flawed person mm-hmm. because I've just acknowledged it, I realized it, and I go, okay, how can I sharpen this particular area of my life? And especially because this is, you're you're making yourself better. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, and that's the part I, I just don't. That's the weird part. It's like, hey, I'm making myself better, and people are like, hmm, okay, yeah. that sounds terrible. And I'm just yeah, like, and hopefully I'll be making myself better for the rest of my. Hopefully, right? I'm yeah. Myself better for the rest of my life. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My wife really hopes that too. She's like, <laughs> I, I hope you keep making yourself better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, well, Chuck, thank you so much for for giving us some insight on on uh, depression and how it how we bump into it and how uh, the the biggest recommendation that we uh, say is that uh, Chuck's Chuck's ad- advice as we talk to him is a a general sense and uh, you should see somebody if you're sure. if you're feeling blue you should see somebody check out Chuck. Um, if you're in the Lynchburg, Virginia area, um, uh, he's great. So thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. And that's our show. Thanks so much for being here. And big thanks to Chuck Rogers. Um, again, if uh, you are needing to talk to somebody, do not wait. Um, if you are feeling down or feeling uh, hopeless, uh, call someone, talk to someone, reach out to someone. Suicide prevention line, anything really. There are people that love you, and um, or email me. Not that I'm uh, a licensed therapist by any stretch, I am not a professional, but uh, I, I totally understand uh, black dog days. And uh, if that's uh, helpful, I hope it is uh, to you. So please give me a shout there. Um, also, if you are listening, wherever you're listening to uh, the podcast, if it's on Google Play or Apple Podcasts or even on Spotify, uh, leave us a, a review, would you? And um, give us a, a star rating. That would be really great. And um, that's it. Coming up soon will be author Tim Grawl. His latest book, Running Down a Dream, is about the struggle of... Uh, kind of achieving your dreams and what it looks like so uh and the ups and downs and it's actually uh, i know a lot about it because i got to work with him on the audiobook of it so i thought it'd be really great to bring him in and talk to him about uh, about it so um stick around for that and um thanks again so much for being here and have a great one um on behalf of the cast of thousands my name is dan portnoy be safe